This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Emma Bates, who is the founder of a social networking app called DM, which is for women and gender non-binary individuals that connects knowledgeable hosts with users to discuss things that we don't openly talk about. In other words, Emma is making a move away from performative content and towards a more equitable and personal experience of social networking. In fact, you'll hear all about how Emma got the idea for DM, and it sparked from an experience with taking Plan B. I'll leave it at that. It's quite a wild story. But Emma has always had a knack for community. She started a blog at the young age of 19 that got up to hundreds of thousands of readers and eventually made her way into the startup ecosystem, spearheading global marketing and partnerships at the direct-to-consumer travel brand, Away. In this episode, you'll hear Emma's inspirational story from starting DM all the way to her perspectives on the gender information gap and the power of freeform knowledge. Emma is really carving out a distinct brand with DM, emerging from quite an interesting climate, post-girlboss narrative and metaverse, and is dedicated to making positive social impact on the lives of many individuals by creating an alternative space and community to do so. I am so thrilled to have Emma on the podcast, so let's give her a warm welcome. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the Bedside Podcast. Hi, Tatiana. I'm excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you here. We got connected through a mutual friend of ours because you are the founder of this really amazing app, which honestly, a lot of the Bedside audience is pretty familiar with because I'm always hosting sessions (laughs) on your app. And I was like, why don't I have Emma on the podcast to not only share what she's building, but I think it has a lot to do with what our listeners are interested in, especially when it comes to like gender and why we should be creating spaces for women, for non-binary individuals. But before we kind of get into your app and everything you've built, I just want you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your cultural background and upbringing. If you couldn't tell by my accent already, it's slightly muddled now, but I assure you I did grow up in England and I moved to the US about almost seven years ago now, uh, moved to New York. I really liked growing up there, but didn't see myself living in London as an adult. And somehow through sheer grit and determination, I managed to get a visa in the US, which for anyone that has experienced the process or is going through it at the moment, I deeply empathize with your pursuits. But in terms of my upbringing, very British and 
sort of went to King's College in London and then went straight into the startup scene. So I've always worked for startups um, on a professional side of things, whether it be community or partnerships or marketing. I'm really fascinated by human psychology and obviously marketing is sort of applied psychology in that way. So that's a little bit about me. What was your sex education like growing up in England? Oh, so bad. Truly terrible. Thankfully, my parents are very open. So my mom did a good job in telling me what I needed to know. But from a schooling perspective, the only thing I remember about sex education is it happened in what was called PSHE, which I now can't remember what it stands for. Maybe something health education. I don't know. But we learned about it in PSHE. And all I remember is watching a video where... The only part of the video I remember is a couple, obviously heterosexual couple, because it was meant to put you off pregnancy, had sex in a shed at a party and then she was pregnant. And that's literally all I remember about PSHE. I really don't remember learning anything about periods outside of my mum. And I think there was the condom on banana scenario, but I think that happened in a science class, maybe biology. (laughs) There was no comprehensive sex education or more importantly, in my opinion, education on your body. So where did you go? At the time, nowhere. (laughs) I think I kind of figured it out as I went along. I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, when you want to get birth control, you go to a clinic. So the NHS in the UK is obviously a free healthcare system and they run clinics like sexual health clinics. So that's where you would go. You don't go to an OBGYN or anything like that. And so you would go and you'd ask for a pill and the pill was probably the first time I started getting a little bit of education about hormones and sex and everything. But even that was a very minimal. I didn't know, for example, that what you take in the pill is not actually hormones. and What it does is just like shuts down your natural hormonal cycles, things like that, which I did not know for eight years. And so, yeah, I would say really only started learning as an adult. That's fair. I studied abroad in London and I remember when friends of mine, when we were all there, they were like, oh my God, I'm going on the pill because it was so much easier to acquire it. Here isn't it really hard. I've never tried over here. I stopped going on it five years ago. I wouldn't know because I also stopped. I had a three month stint, went through absolute hell and back and now refuse to ever go on any. Okay, we're in the same boat. So what were your jobs? Because you said you started immediately in the startup world and you've always been there. So what were the jobs that you had before starting DM where you are today? My degree was in war studies. And so I studied a lot of like conflict, post-conflict regions, politics, history, all of that. So it was a very academic degree and I was obsessed with it. Like I still am. The topics I learned were amazing. But while I was there, I'm a very creative person and was really seeking a creative outlet in that way. So I started a blog, which I guess was about 10 years ago now, and started writing and film photography, all of that sort of stuff. I don't even think influencers really existed in a big way at that point. So very early in that space. That's how I learned marketing and how I became interested in growing audiences and brand partnerships and all of that sort of stuff. And so upon graduating, I went and joined one of the first, what would now be called sort of creator platforms. But at the time was an influencer network. I built out their network from zero to 300. So onboarded the first 300 influencers and then started matching them with brand deals, things like that. And it was when like an Instagram post was 
I don't know, $500, like not expensive. And then from there, I was approached by the co-founders of Away. I was really interested in their company. It was super early stage at that point. I think there were about 10, 15-ish employees, 2016. Uh, So I joined them and kind of did almost everything within the marketing realm at some point, whether that be influencer stuff at the very beginning, whether that be events, whether that be partnerships and partnerships, literally what I ended up spending most of my time at away working on some of their international launches at one point, the UK store, like all sorts of stuff. And it was amazing. It was a crazy three years, learned so much. I met my co-founder actually, Divya, while I was there, which brings me to DM. What inspired you to start DM? I'm really curious to know about the inspiration and like what maybe the problem or like gap in the marketplace that you were looking at was. Yeah, it's actually very relevant to this podcast. The idea for DM came when I had to take a morning after pill for the first time and I'd never taken it before. I truly had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. And as I sort of previously mentioned, had really bad experiences with the birth control pill. And so I was just like a bit nervous and apprehensive to even take it in the first place, but was even more apprehensive to possibly be pregnant. And so <laughs> it was a happy medium. One thing I will say during the experience that I'm convinced is the case is that they make the packaging of the morning after pill near impossible to open. It's almost like they're testing you while you're trying to open it. And I'm like, what is this? I need scissors, like a full on knife to cut open the plastic. Then you have all the like weird cardboard that somehow it's folded like seven times within this box. You can't even find the tablet. And I'm convinced there's some weird puritanical conservative stuff going on in their packaging. But anyway, that aside, I had to take morning after pill. I ended up basically interviewing any woman who would talk to me in the away office about whether they'd taken it and how long their period would last for side effects. I started sort of curating all of this information into a spreadsheet that ended up also obviously in the sort of internet rabbit holes of WebMD and God knows what else. And basically during this experience, I was like, first of all, why am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? Second of all, why isn't there a place where I can go to query the collective knowledge of individuals or communities? Why am I having to source all of this stuff from everywhere and very stressful, many hours of work, etc. And then people started asking me for the spreadsheet. So I was like, okay, sure, I'll share my results with you. And that's really where the genesis for DM came from was this, we want access to the collective experiences and knowledge of our immediate networks, of extended networks, of everyone in the whole world. And we have never built community platforms that enable you to query the knowledge of communities. Search is near impossible within community platforms. And on the other hand, search as in Google doesn't deliver you community generated results. So you can really think of DM as the intersection of search and community, where in the future, what you'll be able to query in DM is the knowledge of community conversations. I'm obsessed that most people would be like, I have to take the morning after pill, going to call a friend to see if they have had it before and then like pull one person, then probably go take it anyways, because they're like, well, I don't want the other result. (laughs) You're making a full spreadsheet. I made a spreadsheet. I'm not sure how much I believe in horoscopes, but I'm a Virgo, if that tells you anything about me. And you probably could have guessed. Apparently people can easily guess that I'm a Virgo, which I don't know if that's a compliment, but I'm going to lean into it. Just really quick top down, what even was on this spreadsheet? Did you have columns, categories? Yeah, there were categories. There was a column for 
a length of bleed after I, everyone calls it a period that's not actually a period like bleeding time um if they'd taken other contraception if they were on the pill for example then like that would probably impact their side effects their age their period typical like symptoms things like that honestly it's a really good spreadsheet you know I think it's so cool because that's really what I love so much about your app and I really mean it when I say this because I never promote things that I like don't fully 100% live and can advocate for and say that I really use. And what I love so much about what you guys have built is that it's this super honest platform where like people will post questions, ideas, host audio sessions where they're collaborating on knowledge and people are really responding. I found that on other social networking platforms especially with like meta and stuff, it's been really hard to have people engage in an honest and like open way. On the bedside account, I'll speak for Instagram, like I am utilizing polls and all that sort of stuff and people are engaging with it. But it's funny because I then will sometimes take a question to my personal Instagram and it's radio silence. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are so uncomfortable here. And for me, it's not weird to post queries because I've exercised that muscle, but it's really interesting to see the hesitation. And what I've noticed with DM is that people are like, oh, I've got a person. Like I posted literally yesterday. I was like, who can help me with fundraising? immediately like people are responding being like I know a person I know a person like I can link you with so and so so tell me really about what the intention of having these real conversations was about yeah so I think one of the biggest problems that we recognized when diving into how do we create a wealth of community generated knowledge that is stored in a net positive way that you're able to search that you're able to utilize We don't recognize conversations as content on on a very sort of basic, functional, featured, foundational perspective, that's the word. And as a result, conversations are often recognized for these like fleeting moments where you might exchange a tip and then no one will ever discover it again. And a month later, someone asks the exact same question. And honestly, I truly believe is to do with like bias or how people view information exchange. And we didn't design Instagram initially or any of those platforms. The team didn't design it to exchange information. And so as a result, no one's really recognized the huge power in conversation in a way that is very scalable, I think. So like Discord or Slack or any of these places that people choose to house their communities, they don't recognize communities as a resource and community is a resource to everyone. And so I think that the biggest things that we think about are how do we build technology that makes people feel comfortable first and foremost to have conversations and to exchange information like they would in a very private setting, like in your private group chats, for example, how do we make you feel comfortable to do that more publicly? Second, how do we build technology that really creates a sense of community as a resource? So from a data infrastructure perspective, how do we store all of these conversations? How do we make sure that they're searchable? How do we make sure that they not just get lost in ether and they're no longer helpful to anyone but in that moment in time? There's just like a lot of potential if you recognize specifically like female knowledge sharing, the ingenuity of it and how can you build products that recognize it and harness it for good? 
That's really interesting, too. And I know that your platform predominantly centers women and non-binary voices. Like, what was the intentionality around that? Because I know you've mentioned before that your goal with DM is really to close the gender information gap. The biggest thing that we say is just because we build for demographic first, whether that be gender, whether that be age, it doesn't mean it's for them only. It just means that we've recognized and everyone knows that there is a gender information gap. There's so little information based off of the fact that a lot of the time we haven't recognized anyone behind like a default male in research studies. There's a huge gender data gap as pointed out by my favorite book in the world, Invisible Women. And beyond that, like, if you build products for those who are underserved first, then it sort of just levels the playing field. It's not to say that no one else can utilize it if they want to and if they find it helpful. It's more that there is this problem of there being a lack of information based off of society, based off of technology, based off of how we've evolved. So we want to solve for them. And by solving for them, we can solve for everyone in the future. I'm curious to know, as you've evolved and this platform has grown and shifted, has anything surprised you with any of the knowledge and way user experience with how people interact with community? Has anything like stood out to you? A couple of things. One thing is logically you would come to a place to ask a question about a specific topic and that's all you're thinking about. What we found is people, sure, might come to ask a question or participate in a specific topic, but they also then go and answer like five other questions in completely opposite topics. So you might have come for reproductive health or skincare or whatever, and then you go and reply to a question on how to invest. And I think that that's really indicative of our core demographic and the people utilize the actual real world behavior of the people utilizing the product is in its sort of beta or its infancy right now. That was really interesting to see come to life is that people don't just want one topic. They want all of the things for all of their interests. And then from a communication standpoint, one thing that we've been testing the most in a sort of beta phase is how people like to engage if it's live or if it's asynchronously. And we thought that asynchronously would be most popular and it is. So a lot of this evolution of the product over the coming months will be around more in that direction. I think a lot of people when they're building brands, they come from this sense of authority. We are the like voice of reason and you community are the followers of like larger ethos. And I think what really is working in many other spaces is really when like we put the authority in the community's hands. DM isn't here being like, be this way, do this thing, live this lifestyle. You guys are like, we're creating this place for you guys to be that resource for one another. So I started out my whole thing in the magazine world because that was the cool thing to do. Worked at like Teen Vogue in 17. And I remember when I was working there, I spoke to a creative director and she said to me, this was like right before Teen Vogue did their rebrand. But she was like, our readers are much more intelligent than we're letting them on to be. These people are smart. And I think that's so cool what you guys are doing. 
you are leaning into the intelligence of the community. I think the biggest thing that I get really frustrated about when you think of female-centric, for lack of a better description, platforms or products or anything like that, is we sort of pinkify everything. We're like, oh, you need help or you need to heal or you need this. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like lots of people need a lot of that, but we're also really intelligent, really interested and intrigued and amazing at sharing information and so generous in how we communicate with each other and help each other out. And no one celebrates that. No one is saying you're a really capable person just because you might have had an experience where you feel less about yourself or you've grown up in a place that doesn't make you feel confident or you doubt yourself frequently because of the fact that you've been socialized to doubt yourself almost every single day of your entire life so far doesn't mean that you're not capable. And so I think the biggest thing that I hope that we can do and can continue to do in the future with DM is not focus on just, you need to be helped, that narrative. It's exhausting. I'm like, stop telling me that. The more you tell me that, the more you think I think there's something wrong. Exactly. I'm now correlating that to my industry in the sex space. Everything is shrink it and pink it. Tampons and sex toys. I'm like, this is just the most awful branding and messaging and like I get that we're kind of transitioning out of like the voice being centered for the male but it's still like male gazy it's so horrific one thing I always think about to your sort of point around community and how like a brand shouldn't be an authority within the community it should be the human beings that exist in a community is really about how community is actually very matriarchal and how patriarchy is very hierarchical. And it's like why we focus a lot on this sort of top-down approach when actually community, if you think about just on a, your individual friendship groups, for example, maybe you have a doctor. I'm going to talk from my personal experience. One of my best friends from school is a highly qualified doctor. She's got like three master's degrees. She like knows everything about everything to do with your health. And she's in our group of 12 girls from school. And so just because someone posts a question about skincare in there and she's a dermatologist, it doesn't mean that we always hold her opinion as a sourceable truth. We very much value the expert opinion, but we also value the people that might have tried XYZ products and are therefore recommending them for their skin type. And I think that that's a really something that we don't see in platforms right now is this sort of lack of hierarchy in who has the most valuable information to share. That's so interesting. Another thing I was really keen on asking you, because this is pretty relevant in media lately, and I saw some recent posts about it resurface, but we're coming off this really interesting like girl boss era and where now we've seen like a lot of female founder takedowns and then this continuing rhetoric around females building something and then something falling through. It's a really interesting dialogue happening. And I'm curious to like pick your brain around that, especially as somebody who's in the space building something pretty massive. I have so many thoughts. I don't even know where to start. Where would you like me to start? I think I just want to know about your personal experience, how you're navigating that or maybe going against the grain of that. I'm curious about your ideology. I think um, the sort of girl boss branding that we've seen over the last, let's say, give it 10 years, it's just like a byproduct of what we've always tried to differentiate female workers from the workforce. Like if you think of 
which is along the lines of the fact that most of the time, certainly in the past 40-ish years, women who are in senior leadership have largely been tokenized. And if they haven't, uh, to at least to start with, and honestly still to this day, and if you tokenize an individual, first of all, they can't show up as their true selves because a lot of the time they have to have behaved in a certain way, quote unquote, in a masculine way to get the position or to feel as though the men around the table aren't awkward or whatever, constantly trying to placate the people around you. And so I think that the girl boss branding is basically an extension of that. It's like the Instagram version of get a seat at the table kind of thing instead of like build your own table and build your own experience and do it differently uh, because we've never been allowed to do it differently. And so I think that this sort of obsession with female founders and the fact that male founders isn't even a term is really just to do with pointing out that we're different. And it's like, sure, like people are different based on whether their lived experiences, whether that be their gender or whether it be something completely different. And yes, yeah, so I find it very unfair when people are criticized for leaning into say a girl boss narrative or being almost forced into that narrative because it's not their fault and not to say that they don't have a choice in leaning into it but a lot of the time certainly when you've raised like venture capital money the focus is on you as a founder like they put more pressure on female founders than they do on male founders and so you don't really get that much of a choice it's a very uneloquent way of saying that I think it's a byproduct of how women have always been viewed in the workforce. Definitely. There's so much to go off of here because I'm now going back to your description of it is a matriarchal thing to like create community, but we've been forced into this hierarchical system. And we've really looked at building business and community and things in one way for so long. And it's so linear and it's so male-centric and male-dominated and patriarchal. And there are so many other ways. Also, our perception of what a successful community is, is completely like, wrong. Because a lot of the focus on community is like, is it constantly active? Is it constantly like, are people talking every single second of the day? And I'm like, no one talks every single second of the day. We have jobs or lives or children or partners or friends that we're spending time with. Like you're not in a digital Slack channel your whole day. Think about how often you talk to your friends. You don't talk to your friends every second of the day. That would be weird. And so basically our perception of success, what we strive for with a successful community is just wrong. It's all completely wrong. I mean, you must be compared a lot of times to Meta. Yeah. The biggest frustration point for me is that there is an element of social behavior that occurs in DM. A community-based platform and a social platform are two very different things. So you're almost creating something that people don't have a lot to compare to, or they might be comparing it to the wrong thing. I want to know what your ideal goal is with DM or like where you guys are heading right now. I want it to become your alternate Google experience. So you won't turn to Google because in DM you get community generated knowledge. That is so exciting. So kind of switching gears a bit in lieu of sharing knowledge and like what your brand is all about. I would love to know about really what it means to you to like stay within your pleasure and like stay connected because I know that you're such a busy gal. So what are your sort of routines and regimens around just staying like well these days? Not focusing on trying to allocate time to staying well. I think there's a lot of guilt that 
is worse. It has more of a negative impact on me personally, being like, oh, I haven't spent an hour by myself today, or I haven't gone to the gym, or I haven't eaten lunch, or I haven't done whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't do that thing. Like, move on. (laughs) Try and do it next time. And so a lot of my personal take on it is that I try and work out four times a week, whether that be a run around the block for 10 minutes or a parties class or go for an hour long walk with a friend or something like that. And so I do try and allocate time to that because it significantly improves my mental health and I also enjoy it. So that's the biggest thing that I always consistently try and do. I know that when I eat well, I always feel better, no matter how challenging I sometimes find it to remember to eat lunch. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, just because you didn't do something, don't feel guilty. Totally. What are your biggest tips for people who want to start engaging in their communities a little bit more? What I thought was really cool was when I first joined DM, the world was a lot more shut down than it is today. And I was like, oh, this is just so cool to be like hanging out with people and making connections. So like, what is your advice for people who are wanting to branch out, join more community and like get a little bit more involved, even on their like local or digital level? That's the biggest thing with community is like, it's not just about taking, it's like, what can you give? So I would say for anyone that is looking to find new community or get involved in community, it's like, what can you bring to the table and not just what the community can give to you? And that usually sets you up really well. I love that so much. The concept of really co-creating. Yeah, we've been very conditioned over the last 12 years, 14 years since sort of social platforms came into our world. In a larger way, we come conditioned to focus on ourselves as individuals and our individual success, quote unquote, within these platforms. And so as a result, we've kind of forgotten what we bring to the table as well and not just what we're trying to take as in what we're trying to get people to engage with. We're trying to grab people's attention the whole time. So we've kind of forgotten a little bit about how to actually be social. That's such a great point because I think a lot of people don't even like 100% trust in themselves that they have stuff to share, like exercising that muscle too. I think especially we've seen that with DM women and non-binary individuals who utilize the platform or who we've done like user research with, things like that. Genuinely, I think it's also a byproduct of just them in general not feeling confident that they know anything. But that is one of the biggest things is that they're like, I don't have anything valuable to share. And then you'll say okay, well, what's your skincare routine? And they'll talk for like 15 minutes. I'm like, well, that's something. (laughs) I love that. What is currently hanging out on your bedside table? I've got 16 books and a gua sha tool, (laughs) which basically perfectly summarizes me as an individual. (laughs) The Virgo over here. Yeah, 16 books of which I've read maybe one and a gua sha tool for getting rid of TMJ. Oh my gosh, I struggle with that too. It's horrible. It's horrible. All right. So what can we expect from you guys coming down the line? What are you guys like working on building next? We are working on testing what will become our hero feature in the platform, which is called a DM, aptly named. And a DM is essentially starting a conversation that you want people to collaborate on the answers of. So that's a lot of what we're testing over the next couple of months. I will also be rolling out our incentives. So monetary incentives, gamification mechanics, things like that, that make it really fun and give you purpose beyond just the sort of like generosity of sharing your knowledge, because we believe that you should from what you share and what you contribute to the ecosystem. 
I love it. I'm so excited. It's been really fun being a part of this whole community and just seeing what you guys roll out next. I just feel like the biggest cheerleader. Honestly, the biggest thing as a founder is people like you who are cheerleaders because most days you feel like you want to cry at least twice. And so any single person who is like, I really love what you're doing, keep going. You're like, you have no idea how much it means. (laughs) No, I hear you completely. So tell us where we can stay connected with you personally and then where we can learn more and like engage more with what you're building. My personal username, it's Emma S.H. Bates on both Instagram and Twitter. Then for DM, it's Ask DM on all channels. I'll like leave in the show notes, all those links. And of course, guys, go download and hang out on the DM app. It is so much fun. It is really a free forum of exchange and you can have audio conversations live. It's just a blast. Well, thank you so much for first of all, all of your promotion and second of all, for having me on the podcast. Of course, anytime. All right, guys, thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I highly encourage you guys to go download the DM app. It is such a fun place to hang out. I hang out there quite frequently doing really fun sessions with individuals where we talk about sex and many, many other topics. So I hope to see you there. I am going to quickly jump in and do this week's sex Q&A. Somebody wrote in and said, I'm a bisexual woman in a long-term relationship with my boyfriend. I love him, but I'll never be with a woman. So first off, I just want to say that I get this question written in quite frequently. So you're not alone if you are somebody who is in a heteronormative dynamic or in any dynamic and you are interested in bringing in another individual to facilitate with your expression. That said, I also want to say never say never because this person said I'll never be with a woman. Never say never, okay? (laughs) You never know. Let's open up the window of possibility. I first want to introduce kind of this concept of the addition mindset. I think when a lot of us are in monogamous partnership, it can be common to box yourself in to think that you are limiting the possibility of your sex life, especially if you are queer. And I want to say that it's not about eliminating. It is really about adding more to what is defined for you as fulfilled sexual expression. My first bit of advice would be to bring this up openly and honestly with your partner. And Assure them of the importance that they have in your life, but also share with them how you're feeling about maybe your identity, your expression, or where you want to explore more in your dynamic together. And I want to make a caveat and say that this is not something that you need to solve overnight or in one conversation. In fact, I highly advise not trying to just solve this quickly. I think When it comes to larger and more nuanced dialogue like this, it's beneficial to have it over time at your own pace, at the pace of each of you, right? So you're not being one partner trying to convince or drag someone else along into whatever you're looking to create. It should really feel like it's coming from a co-creative space and that just might take time. So I would say don't feel pressure to come to a solution overnight have dialogue over an extended period of time. And to me, that really looks like bringing up where you're at 
for you, you say you're bisexual and you might want to look into exploring more with a woman. So bring up your identity because you might find that just bringing it up to your partner and getting that validation and assurance is what you're looking for. If you're wanting more than that, then I'd say introduce concepts and ask how your partner would feel about bringing in a third, exploring what it would look like involving them with another individual in a sexual dynamic. What would it look like to open up a relationship? You know, I think all of these things are valid and on the table and it's up to you guys to find your level of comfort together and it's going to look different and it will probably evolve over time. So I hope it's helpful. Never say never. And remember that it's all about addition mindset. You're not taking anything away from anybody. You're just adding to your sexual vocabulary and methods of play. Thank you again for tuning into the show today. And as a quick housekeeping update, I will be hosting a talk on the DM app on June 27th with Amy Fraser, where we're going to be talking about sexual health no-nos and all of the mistakes and guilty mishaps of sexual health. And then again, I'll be on the DM app later next week on June 29th with Emma, where we'll be talking about raising capital. And I'm basically going to grill her about all things fundraising and how to create investor decks, establish relationships, and really ask probably the obvious and not so obvious questions all around how to raise capital because Emma's been through it three times. So we decided we would do it open forum. All right, guys. Well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you on the DM app and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening.